Hello and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 117. I am speaking to the wonderful New York Times bestselling author, times two, uh, Mike Viking today on... uh, and well, we kind of just really touch on the little book of Luca, the new um, ish uh, second book of his. Uh, little book of Hugo was one of your favourite shows last year. I loved um, writing to Mike recently when we were teeing up this interview and saying people all over the world have been reporting how much of a significant impact the addition of candles has made at their dinner tables in terms of calm, communication with teenagers and all sorts of other beautiful things uh, uh, from the first show we did together, one of the most popular shows. Uh, So it's wonderful to have Mike back talking about happiness as a bigger picture uh, concept rather than a pursuit, uh, as we talk about right at the end of the show, actually. It's almost like he drops the big truth bomb and then we're kind of done and then I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we need to talk again. Um, but that's what what makes a good sequel, right? So uh, I hope you enjoy today's chat with Mike. Uh, there's some really interesting uh, twists and turns as we discuss equality uh, between men and women, as we discuss social media, as we discuss correlations between heart disease and language used online. There's some really, really uh, interesting uh, facts that uh, he's been researching with his team and also how they're working to generate happiness through organisations and, and countries on, uh, on a really big picture scale. So before I jump into our chat today, I just wanted to introduce to you a wonderful show supporter for December. It's the guys from Earthing Oz. And some of you will have heard uh, me talk about or read in the newsletter Uh, And if you're not a subscriber, I do encourage you to join because it is kind of the way that you get a bit of a digest of everything that's happening in the week, even though I so guiltily didn't write one for two weeks, a couple of weeks ago, it was my birthday, it was the end of the book tour. I think I literally just ran out of steam. So I'm sorry I had a two week hiatus there, guys, but I was back last week, back this week, we're all good. And it really is the only way, given social media often doesn't show people Um, every single post from the pages they like or the Instagram accounts they follow, how to get your uh, low-tox digest, things that are on, offers that are going to help you make good swaps for a little bit less money and all those good things. And anyway, a few weeks ago I was writing about some of the things I bring around with me when I'm on these huge travel uh, escapades either for the book tour or um, the personal adventure I took with my son to meet all of our relatives overseas. And uh, my, my non-negotiables are uh, my pillow, my sound machine, my uh, Earthing Oz uh, bed sheet, my Earthing Oz laptop mat that I put under my computer when I'm working on my lap especially um, because you don't want to have a laptop right on your legs. And... Uh, and uh, my face mask. And uh, I'll put all of these again in the show notes for anyone who hadn't gotten that newsletter so that you see what they all are and where to get them from. But the great news is you can get that earthing sheet, which you literally plug into the wall and then put under the um, fitted sheet on your bed around where your legs go. And it grounds you in your sleep. And this is especially useful when you're traveling. For me, when you're traveling in places where you can't control how much Wi-Fi is around when you can't control how much electricity, you know, those hotel rooms where 
like, you know, you literally have to be a world-class gymnast to try and find the switch for the TV to get it fully off and all sorts of crazy things. So anyway, Earthing Oz is supporting the show this week. I can tell you right now, using one of their phone cases versus not is, uh, is definitely a massive contributor to whether your hand becomes sensitive using a mobile phone device. Uh, They've got a stack of fantastic resources, things like mats that you can practice yoga on and feel super, super grounded, all sorts of wonderful little things. And we have 15% off their entire store for the month of December. What a wonderful um, offbeat Christmas present for your kooky, hippie, greeny crackpot friend. If you've got one like me in your family, we would love something from this store. Hint, hint. Uh, so 15% off the entire, uh, online store, obviously excluding already discounted things. Uh, and your code is Lotox life in the earthing Oz, um, on the earthing Oz website. So I have the details for that in the show notes. I often get a lot of, um, Oh, I'm just trying to find the code. So if you ever want to find the code to the offers that are going on the podcast, you literally go to lotoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And then you click on the most recent one because they're chronological from most recent to, um, most distant past. And, uh, and the offer will be right there and you'll be able to click through and, uh, and find the codes and the details and all those good things. So that is that. Uh, I also wanted to mention just before I kicked into the chat that it has been lovely seeing more and more of you joining our low tox club for a tiny $4 us a month or whatever you would like to nominate to pay. Some people pay more because they want to contribute more. It helps us do the work we do to support you and your goals. And all of the details for that are in the show notes too. You join via Patreon. And then once you have joined on the Patreon site, um, you, you can actually just head to the Patreon site now and search Lotox Life and it'll come right up. You nominate what you'd like to pay per month to be a part of the club. And uh, so it can literally be as little as four bucks uh, US, which is a coffee uh, a month, which isn't too bad. And, uh, and that helps us cover all the costs of the podcast. And as it grows, we'll be able to start adding resources like time stamped uh, transcripts and all sorts of things. Uh, and we actually have a group of Lotox Club members who are our transcribers. So I like to, you know, give jobs to the community and, and keep it all in-house and, uh, and and we've got a whole bunch of, of plans as it grows over time, some really cool ideas around starting to fund, you know, some research into pesticide residues and all sorts. So the more of us that jump into this club, the more good stuff we can do to advance low-tox living uh, the globe over. So head to Patreon, search low-tox life, and as soon as you have actually pledged and you join, you'll be given the low-tox chat club group uh, details for Facebook, which you can then apply to join and we'll, um, we'll get you in there and you can get chatting to everybody. We've done some fantastic mini challenges. Uh, we, I actually had one please, uh, language warning here, uh, where I, I talked about the mini shits, uh, micro shits, sorry, uh, that we have around little things like, you know, when you walk past a pair of jeans that still hasn't been patched up and you know it just needs to be, you know, a button needs to be put back on something and you just have the micro shits about lots of tiny little things that fill up your mind in the distant background 
And we did a seven-day challenge identifying seven things we had the micro shits about around our homes, and we just worked on them for seven days. And I can tell you my office is looking fantastic because that was one of the things that I was really upset about, this dumping ground that it became in the book tour. So, um, you know, we do little seven-day challenges like that. We've done one on exercising for two hours a day and see how you feel, see if you can manage it, you know, some, some really cool little things happen in the club. So I would love for more of you guys to join us over there. Uh, I have nothing more to say other than yay. It's December. It's such an exciting festive time of the year for so many people. And it's a wonderful time of the year to think about a group that's not as fortunate as yourself and uh, send a little cash their way. I would love to hear causes and organizations that you like to donate to local soup kitchens, anything any of us can become a part of. We're going to start a thread in the club on that this week, um, or you can just leave a comment in the show notes. No problems. So on to the happiness uh, subject and chatting to the wonderful researcher and author Mike Viking. I hope you enjoy this chat today as much as I loved having it. Hello, Mike. How are you? I am well, Alex. Thank you. How are you? I'm really well, thank you. And it's been a whole year and a half since we last spoke. It has, but we haven't aged a bit. No, I know, right? Still looking <laughs> fabulous. Must be all the hoogly activities that we both, uh, you know, make sure are part of our daily routine. Um, now, we've both been on a book tour, so that's always a bit hectic. And, yes. uh, and I might actually break the ice by uh, asking you this because I keep getting told, not even asked really, but like, oh, you must be exhausted. And I'm really not because I'm doing this job that I absolutely adore and I'm energized by room after room after room full of people who want to do better by people and planet. I'd imagine it would be the same for you, but I would love to hear how uh, you, you look after your own energy levels on something as intense as a book tour. Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so... What I've been better at, I think, this year than earlier is chunking my travels. Mm. Um, instead of going back and forth uh, to Copenhagen, yep. um, try to, to organize my travel. So uh, recently I went to uh, Mexico and then I had a presentation in New York the following week. Mm-hmm. And then I just, instead of flying back home to Copenhagen, I, I flew directly to New York and, and spent a few days there. Yep. And now on Saturday, I'm going to Asia, where I've chunked uh, Japan, China, and South Korea into one. Mm-hmm. So I'm gone for two weeks. So instead of having travel uh, f- more frequently, I have I have big chunks. And in, instead of going back and forth, trying to cut down on jet lag, trying to cut down on the number of airports I have to visit. Um, that, that's been that's been working for me. And then, as you describe, it's wonderful, energizing, meeting people all over the world, talking about what you love. Uh, I mean that that's that's a, a huge privilege. So um, so that that uh, definitely weighs up for 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 the negative stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I've totally found that doing like a week of intensive road showing rather than lots of little trips back and forth is the way to go as well because then you're really there to give your all to that thing that you're doing as opposed to dipping back into a bit of work and research and then back in front of people and then and then it has yeah and 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 honestly and you know just between me and you 
Uh, <laughs> and our 70,000 friends. Exactly. <laughs> Sometimes also I'm actually quite productive when I'm not at the office. Oh, me too. Um, you know, I can't believe no, how much like, I can get done in a like, tiny hotel room in an hour. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so also that the, when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm West from, from Denmark, uh, for example, when I was in Mexico and the U S when I got up uh, in the morning, my mailbox was full and then I took care of that. And then it was quiet for the rest of the day, uh, to, to concentrate on other stuff. So, so I think there can actually be some benefits in yeah. terms of product. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so another question, given you spend a lot of time in hotel rooms, how do you make them a little bit more hygge? <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's challenging. Um, <laughs> but I think well, I, I usually go to this, if, if I go to London a lot, for instance, I go to London perhaps five or six times per year mm-hmm. and I stay at the same hotel. So I'm, I'm used to that hotel. So that makes it a little bit more homey. I know the, the, the neighborhood. Uh, and then also, I mean, I, I talk uh, frequently with my uh, with my girlfriend in Copenhagen. Uh, I think FaceTime have been a, a giant step forward for us uh, travelers. That yeah, nice. We, we love and talk with them on a daily basis. So, so um, I, I, I try to do it in that way. Yeah, beautiful. I have like a little ritual of things that I pack that make things feel like home. Like I, I travel on purpose with a bigger suitcase so that I can pack my pillow because then it always feels like it's my bed. It's little okay. things like that. I know people think I'm crazy for traveling around the place with a huge pillow, but it really makes a difference. Very good, very good. Mm. Yeah, maybe I should start lighting uh, candles on the planes, but I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think that. that'd go down so well, Mike. Maybe, <laughs> maybe leave the candles at home. <laughs> oh, too funny. Um, now, the reason you've been touring around is obviously because you brought another book out uh, in addition to the research work that you do. Can you tell me why you felt that the little book of Luca, is that Luca? Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep needed to be written and how you differentiate happiness, which is what Luca means, from coziness, right. which is what Hugo means. <laughs> okay, so so the distinction is, uh, I mean, Hugo in Danish is this consciously cozy activity, um, which is which is part of our sort of everyday life and, and part of our national DNA and culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first book was trying to describe that to a global audience. Uh, and now the, the second book was much more um, sort of a global treasure hunt for happiness, looking at what are the common denominators for happy people, you know, whether you're Danish or Australian or British and American, mm. um, and, and trying to find great examples of what people around the world are doing to improve their quality of life. So, so it was a little, to me, it was a different focus in terms of uh, the first one being very much focused on Denmark, where the second one was much more uh, globally uh, orientated. Mm, um, yeah. um, well, that definitely so, comes through in quite an obvious way when you read the book, for sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I love to write the books because in my in my work, uh, I like to uh, swing between the very sort of extroverted roles that I sometimes have in terms of 
talking in different conferences, talking to journalists, and then being super introvert, nerded, uh, working uh, for myself um, in front of the, the laptop uh, and on, on, on late nights. Um, and then books are just a great um, channel of communication to, to reach uh, a wide global audience. Um, and, and, and in a lot of, you know, the, the written works we do today, it's tweets, it's short stuff. And it's nice to have, you know, 200, uh, 300 pages mm. to sort of read to something. Yeah, and to um, really explore an idea in its full depth. Yeah. And, and I mean, a lot of our work is looking at numbers, looking at evidence, looking at data. And we have a saying that the data should the data should shape the science, but the stories stories should spread the science. So the books is very much trying to find uh, stories that uh, are examples of what we see in the data and in the evidence. Um, so I think the combination of the two is really fun to work with. Mm. And um, in terms of what you found when you started studying countries, were you particularly shocked by any one example, either positive or not so positive, that you came across? Uh, I think shocked is a strong word. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly surprised? Can I say slightly surprised? (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean... I've been working with with happiness uh, research for the past six years. Mm. Um, I, th- I think nowadays it takes a lot to to sort of knock me off my feet. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, when I, when I started looking at happiness research, uh, one of the big surprises to me was that we could see that genetics matter in terms of how happy we are. Mm. Uh, we are born more or less happy. So there are some quite um, good uh, twin studies from the University of Minnesota uh, that have a twin register uh, also from a time in the U.S. where it was allowed for two different sets of parents to adopt one twin each. So there you have sort of scientific gold. You have, in some cases, identical genetic material brought up under different circumstances. Mm. and, and from that uh, data register, we can see that identical twins have fairly similar happiness levels, uh, even though one might be you know, working and married and the other one might be single and unemployed, uh, whereas non-identical twins, um, their, their happiness levels uh, don't correlate at all. Wow. Um, so so would see- you say that with the non-identical twins, it would be more environmental factors? Of happiness. Um, well, well, their genetics matter as well, but they're because they have different genetic uh, material. Then their their genetics or their their happiness levels are are different. But yes, their circumstances matter as well. Yeah. But so does for the uh, for the individual twins, um, also the identical twins. So so. At first, I thought, wow, that's surprising. Um, you know, genetics matter for happiness, but then. Um, thinking a little bit more about it, you know, genetics also matter for a lot of um, mental illnesses, schizophrenia, depression, and so on. So, of course, if it matters for for mental illness, it should also matter for for um, the positive emotions that we experience. Mm. So, yes, ge- genetics matter, but as you say, you know, the circumstances 
we live under, the cities we live in, the countries we live in, the policies we live under, that also matter a great deal. And then the choices we make, the behavior we have, uh, what we choose to do with our time, what we choose to do with our money, that also impacts our happiness. So it's not that if you were born with sort of less fortunate happiness genes that you'll never uh, be happy. That's not the case, but it's it's um, it might be a a larger struggle for some. Right. Yes, and you can you can literally consciously bank up your happiness with the way that you choose to surround yourself with certain positive people, certain positive imagery. Positive. Surely those things impact us overall, right? They do. They do. I mean, but. Um, we, we don't have complete control, I would say, uh, over our happiness. Um, okay. It is important also to look at the policies, the conditions. Um, I know a lot of, of especially uh, sugary drinks advertise with happiness is a choice and open oh, happiness. Gosh. and all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that that's, that's perhaps a little bit too far. Uh, mm. You know, there's a reason why we can see the unhappiest people in the world currently are living in Syria and Central African Republic. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it doesn't have something to do that they don't choose to be happy. It's just that they are living under horrible conditions. Yes, uh, of course. I think looking, looking at happiness um, or causes or factors that impact happiness with those sort of three lenses or three categories. So first we have genetics. Secondly, we have conditions or policies uh, and then thirdly, uh, our behavior or choices or outlook on life. I think it's useful to to try and look at happiness this, that way. Mm-hmm. And it's also what we do when we look at, at for example, health. You know, we can see also those three categories impact uh, longevity. You are born more or less uh, healthy. You are predisposed for certain diseases. But also the policies, the conditions you live under impact your health, you know, whether there is a large level of air pollution, whether there is good health care in your country. And then thirdly, the choices you make, mm. you know, whether you choose to smoke and exercise, what kind of diet you have, that also impacts your longevity. So I think that that framework is, is also useful for, for understanding happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I, uh, sorry I'm getting, <laughs> getting no, no, nerdy. No. I love a good tangent. It's all good. (laughs) Um, Now, the 10 happiest countries in the world this year, Mm -hmm. um, who do we, like, who do we listen to? Like, what, I mean, do you guys publish a list at the Happiness Research Institute or do we go off, um, you know, a, a particular, like, who's the most definitive list to follow? On, on when these things are published because I mean it could be like some random blogger that says these are the happiest countries and you know what is the most founded on science and the metrics of happiness that you follow at the institute so we always follow um the world happiness report mm-hmm. which is commissioned by the UN um yeah. and that's an annual ranking uh, where data and thus the ranking is is based on um, a, a data set collected by Gallup in 156 countries mm-hmm. uh, with an accumulated average over three years um, so that that that's I think that's the that's the best annual uh, ranking when it comes to happiness if we look at at happiness as life satisfaction so overall happiness with your life yeah. Um, 
that's at least the one we 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 use as a, a yard, yardstick and a benchmark for for other studies. Yeah, and is that for because of the sheer amount of data that goes into producing that list? Yes, um, and and the academic community behind it. Uh, yeah. So um, the, the three editors of the World Happiness Report are some of the leading uh, happiness scientists uh, in the world. Um, so, um, so, so there's a lot of credibility and legitimacy around that, uh, that report. Mm-hmm. Something that always shocks me about the top 10, and Australia tends to sneak its way in there around <laughs> number nine or 10 each year, so go Aussies, but is how pretty much every other country, maybe with the exception of New Zealand, not so cold, is literally freezing for most of the year. And if you look at happiness culture in terms of pop culture, movies that are popular, etc., it's always people in bikinis and swimmers and running on beaches and, um, you know, all of the soft drink ads, for example, that you mentioned, and there's always beaches and sunshine. And, um, and, and yet it seems that the sun, even though you might think, gosh, you know, the people who get the most vitamin D, etc., must, mm. must be clinically happier, have a, have a lower rate of depression. But it seems like some of the coldest countries in the world are in our top 10. Do you think that is because of uh, hug- like behavior, coziness? And bringing no, people I, closer and connectivity to, of, you know, communities? Um, communities, yes. I, I, I don't think it has to do with, with, with Hugo because, I mean, that's, that's a special case for, for Denmark. Okay. Uh, but I think, you know, the Nordic countries are all doing well in the, in the World Happiness Report. Mm. Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Iceland are always in the top 10. Um, and that has to do with the Nordic welfare model. Yes. Um, being uh, relatively good at converting wealth into be uh, wealth into well-being, being relatively good at reducing the causes of unhappiness uh, for a lot of people. So access to healthcare, access to free university education, relatively equal opportunities for men and women. Mm. Um, um, you know, good uh, unemployment benefits. Um, having that in place uh, means you reduce a lot of unhappiness for people and also a lot of worries and anxieties for the middle class and the upper class. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the key to understanding why the Nordic countries do well, uh, partly. And then also in terms of the sun, uh, the, 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 the thing here is also that uh, what we focus on in the World Happiness Report is overall life satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have questions like, you know, imagine uh, the best possible life you could live and the worst possible life you could live on a scale from, from 10 to 0, mm-hmm. uh, where you, you stand right now. And when we ask people that question, it doesn't matter whether it's cold outside, whether it's windy, whether it's snow, um, and whether it's rain. So, so people can abstract and, and sort of... Uh, uh, block that out in that question if you ask people other questions like how happy are you right now or how happy were you yesterday uh, you would probably see there there would be uh, a climate or a weather effect Uh, people perhaps would be happier on sunnier days there is a great um, study under london school of economics called mappiness um, where uh, more than 60,000 people have downloaded an app and every day are asked 
how happy they are, but also where they're at, who they're with, what they're doing. Mm. And they can see no big surprise when people are at work, they're less happy. <laughs> uh, and people are happier in the weekends. Uh, people are actually uh, the least happy on Tuesdays. It's not mon- Mondays that's the worst. Um, so if you have if you have that dimension, which is called the affective dimension, um, um, You'll see, you'll see different results. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so Can I just stop you there for a sec, Mike? So yeah, you're sorry. saying Tuesday is the yeah. least happy day of the week? Yep. Is that because so, people are still high on their weekends and talking about their weekends exactly. at the water cooler so, so, on the Monday? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. So, so the weekend sort of lasts into Monday. We yeah. are re-energized. We had a good time. Uh, so, so the weekend still lingers in the body on, on Mondays, it seems. Yeah. And then on Tuesday, you're like, oh gosh, I'm here for another four <laughs> days. Great. And so also just to add to that one, uh, it was really interesting to see, uh, in 2016, we could see the happiest day in the UK was no big surprise Christmas day, mm-hmm. but the happiest day was, uh, uh, November 9th, because that was the day that uh, Europe woke up and Donald Trump was elected president. Uh, uh, you know, you mentioned this in the start of your book, right? You alluded yeah. to uh, this uh, this day. And I have to share with you a, a mutual pain that I felt <laughs> because that was the day I had to deliver my TED Talk. <laughs> and I was like, I wow. was crying on the side of my bed that morning going, how, how? Um, and it's absolutely nothing against, you know, Republicans and Democrats. For me, it's about justice and, and beautiful culture comes from the top, which is exactly right. why all these wonderful Nordic countries do so well um, because of such equal representation and a sense of social justice in their governments. Um, but, yeah, I had to give a TED Talk on that day and it was like, oh, no. <laughs> and I, felt, I found it very hard to be positive about the future health of the planet. that's okay it was just one you know and then we get on with the solutions but uh yeah it it made me kind of laugh cry when you read when you (laughs) spoke about that in your book too very good Mm. um now you mentioned equality there when you were talking about the the nordic countries and and that one of the reasons so many of them rank right up there in the top five is because there tends to be a greater sense of equal opportunity for men and women. Uh, And, uh, I mean, you will obviously be able to shed light on this in a far better way than I could. Is it uh, because of this idea that the examples we see in our governing bodies are the ones that exude that equality is just the way that it is and should be? And therefore, that's much easier to emulate in the wider society. Uh, I, I I think that's part of it. I don't think it's the only part of it. I think it's because equality is such a key value throughout society, uh, in the education system, in you know how men and women talk about chores at home, and and so on. Um, so I, I don't think it's purely something that comes from the top. Wow, um, okay. So this is very much a grassroots thing as well in the culture. Um, yeah, I think, it, I think it's top down and bottom up. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but that said, I mean, yes, the Nordic countries are doing relatively well. They're not 
of course, perfect. And there is still a a gender pay gap. There is mm. still quality also in terms of of chores in the home and so on. So 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 we are doing relatively well, but but uh, but but still have. Uh, I think, especially in Denmark, uh, a while or a bit to go before before we reach uh, real equality. Um, but it's interesting because what we see in happiness research these years is actually a bigger focus on equality. So not just looking at average happiness levels in different countries, but also looking at happiness inequality. So, you know, when we talk about economy, we could talk about GDP per capita, but there mm-hmm. can also be a talk about economic equality or inequality measured often by the, the Gini coefficient. Um, now we actually see rankings coming out with a look not just on um, averages, but a look on the distribution, um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, so I think mm-hmm. we'll see a lot more focus on that in the coming years. Uh, we have also published a couple of reports in that field, actually looking at the Nordic countries. We pu- published a report, uh, I think, uh, three or six months ago called In the Shadow of Happiness, where we look at uh, what is the status on inequality and well-being in the Nordic countries and and who are some of our unhappiest people. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a really interesting field. But if we look at sort of overall life satisfaction, um, you will see that the Nordic countries, we have uh, similar or uh, equal happiness levels between men and women. Um, that's not the case for, for every country. Uh, in Europe, I think the biggest gap between men and women is Italy, uh, where men are significantly happier than uh, women are, uh, probably uh, due to... to uh, to inequalities on the labor market and in a lot of other places also in, in, in Italy. Mm. So I think what works well in the Nordic countries is um, that uh, they have fairly good um, infrastructure around uh, being a family, uh, around enabling women to re-enter the labor force after uh, they've given birth. Um, we will see in Denmark that 80% of, of women re-enter the labor force after they've given birth, in part because of great public childcare. So there's a heavily subsidized childcare, and also. So how much would it be, out of curiosity, to send your under five-year-old to childcare per day? That would be per month. Or per month, uh, yeah. So I'm totally was, springing this on you. This was not in my yeah, notes. So, Sorry, Mike. So that was around 400 US dollars per month. <gasps> no. Roughly. Don't don't don't, uh, don't necessarily quote me on that. I, that's that's my uh, that's my uh, that's my bet. Uh, that's uh, around that. So it's about 600 Australian uh, or just under, which means okay. yeah, yeah. So, wow. Okay, because for us in Australia, it's about 600 a week. Okay, yeah. Mm. So that, that makes a big difference Huge. because in in Denmark, I think 80% of kids below five are in childcare. Um, and then that's from from uh, usually uh, eight or nine in the morning to three or four in the afternoon. Mm. And, and, I mean, it's not complete equality uh, far from it, but I think uh, dads, uh, fathers have become better at also taking 
a, a bigger responsibility for, for example, picking up the kids uh, in the afternoon. Mm. And I remember speaking to an American uh, ex-colleague. She said the big difference was uh, between the American culture and, and the Danish culture was that in Denmark, uh, dads, men at work, her colleagues would say no to a meeting uh, perhaps at, at three or four in the afternoon because they had kitty pickup. Mm-hmm. She said that would never happen in a U.S. context. Well, that would be you would be not committed to your work if you did that right. in an Anglo-Saxon country as a man. I mean, that's just the reality. Yeah. 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 So uh, that said, I mean, but there's there's still there's still gaps, there's still challenges also for for equality in Denmark. But I think you know, globally speaking, we're doing relatively good. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, and if you if you had to kind of, do you think that the heavily subsidised childcare and the I mean and the removal of the stigma around wanting to care for your kids, meaning I don't care about my work, uh, do you think those are the two biggest factors that have that have helped move that along? So I don't think they're necessarily the two biggest factors. Uh, I can't say that because I don't have the complete overview, but I think there are two significant factors. Um, and I think also in, in, in this uh, area, we should also mention that there is a really cool study um, where uh, researchers have looked at whether parents are happier than people that don't have kids in different countries. Mm-hmm. So what is also known as the as the parental happiness gap. And I think it's important here to say that this is only on life satisfaction, because if we look at you know the sense of purpose, sense of meaning in life, of course, kids are a great <laughs> source of that. Uh, but if we look at life satisfaction and if we compare, uh, for example, Americans, uh, people who have kids and people that don't have kids, we can see that in the U.S., parents are 12% less happy than people that do not have kids. Uh, At the opposite end of the scale, you have Portugal, where people with kids, where parents are 8% happier than people without kids. Wow. And and of course, the the thing here is that, you know, it's not that the Portuguese kids are nicer than the American kids. Um, the, The thing is that the infrastructure around being a family is different in different countries. Yes, so of course. We have, we have Portugal. Uh, their parents are happier because they are better at using the grandparent generation in bringing up the kids. So instead of being two stressed out parents trying to juggle everything, you have a team of six uh, making it easier. Now, you also see Sweden and Norway. Uh, those countries, uh, parents are also happier than uh, people without kids. And that's because of the great family-friendly policies they have in those countries. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, you have Swedish uh, family policies and Portuguese uh, grandparents. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's a really interesting study mm. to look at how and how culture impact uh, happiness levels for parents. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true, isn't it? I think of... Um this kind of mess of a nucleus we've gotten ourselves into. Uh, I can only speak from experience living in an Anglo-Saxon country like Australia, um, where you you literally become a family of two, three, four, five, six people, and we we almost insulate ourselves. We're ashamed to ask for help. We're ashamed to connect as village 
um, tribal kind of uh, supportive people, I can feel it. You know, you can, you, you, oh, no, I'm fine. You know, that is just such a standard line in our culture. Oh, no, I'll be okay. Uh, rather than actually asking for help and, and, and not having shame attached to wanting the help. Uh, do you, I mean, do you have any advice for how we can get ourselves out of this pickle? Because I think it's a really huge barrier. It's a really good question. Also, you, you have the additional challenge of great distances. Mm. I remember I, I spent one year in... Oh, yes, your year in Goulburn. Yes. Yeah. Um, home to the big merino for all of you <laughs> that haven't seen the, the eighth wonder of the world. Um, <laughs> but I remember uh, I remembered distances in Australia. You know, in Denmark, um, three hours is considered a long drive. Yeah. Uh, so my dad lives three hours from me, and that's that's considered long. Uh, and I know, um, you know, uh, in Australia, sometimes that's a, a trip to the grocery store for, for some people. Mm. Um, so, so that I think there is that additional challenge for uh, for families in in Australia to 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 use sort of the the wider uh, network. Yeah, 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 absolutely, uh, and. You know, the network, I guess, doesn't also have to just be family by birthright. It's about actually starting to actively cultivate family uh, through community. And it sounds like this is, again, why those top five end up being the top five, because they become exceptionally good at that that sense of people feeling supported in some way. Yes. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Um, now, something that you said uh, in your book, namely about the actual work you do at the Happiness Research Institute, was that you one of your core drivers is to generate happiness. And that really caught my attention. And I wanted to ask you a little bit more about how the work you guys do um, serves to do that. Yep. Um, so... I think the majority of our work is trying to examine some of these patterns, some of these mechanisms, understand what drive happiness and bring that knowledge to a wider audience uh, and also impact policymaking, not just in Denmark, but, uh, but abroad. But I think going a little bit further is one uh, recent project uh, we started, um, I think, four months ago, where we are... Um, working together with a, a company based here in, in Copenhagen, um, where we are uh, looking at whether we can improve happiness levels for their employees. So, so we're not just looking at job satisfaction, we're looking at life satisfaction. Mm -hmm. We have been measuring and talking uh, with the employees for four months. We've been measuring of course, life satisfaction and happiness on different dimensions. We've been looking at self-esteem. We've been looking at stress. We've been looking at loneliness. And now uh, have sort of mapped what drives happiness for the employees and have started uh, different interventions, which we hope will improve uh, life satisfaction levels in, in the coming year. We don't know how it's going to go. Uh, we, we actually call it... Um, the Valcon Happiness Lab. So the company is called Valcon. Mm -hmm. um, basically here we, we, we have a real life lab where we try uh, interventions to see whether we can, we can actually uh, impact 
uh, how people feel about their lives. So that's a that's a super interesting uh, and exciting uh, project, um, and uh, and hopefully we'll get some results uh, in the next year. Yeah, brilliant. Well, see you in a year then. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to also ask you about uh, how. Um, how social media and online communication plays out in the research you do because, you you know, it's kind of like you see so much hate and vitriol in comment threads and so much uh, anger spread because, you know, we all love jumping on a negativity bandwagon, unfortunately, us humans. Seems much easier to spread negative news than it is to spread positive news. And no matter how wonderful cat videos can be, I just feel like sometimes there aren't enough of them (laughs) to, to make online a happy place. And I'd love to see how, you know, I feel so... Um, blessed by the low tox community and I did a lot of work in the early days to really cultivate an accepting non-judgmental um, thoroughly analytical before jumping on any random health bandwagons and and um, and all that kind of stuff so that we remained um, evidence-based as we grew um, things that I felt really protected it from becoming um, one of those places where crazy t- negativity can sometimes really quickly breed uh, and p- politics is another area that it can very quickly breed, not just in health. Um, have Have you researched social media at the institute, and what what are you finding if you have? Yeah, so I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you about two studies. One we have done, and and one other researchers have done, and then I'll I'll I'll, I'll try and shed some light on what can be done. Yes, um, please. So so. Um, I think 2015, we did uh, an experiment with um, social media. So we had um, 1,100 people sign up uh, for an experiment to see what was the impact of social media on life satisfaction and stress and jealousy and uh, satisfaction with social life and so on. So, so we had uh, these 1,100 people uh, conduct or sort of do uh, surveys on, on these different dimensions. And then we randomized them into two groups. So one control group who continued to uh, use Facebook and, and social media as much as they wanted. And then one treatment group who we asked to take a week's break from social media. And then after the week, we surveyed uh, both groups again. And... To be honest, when we started the experiment, I didn't think we would see any effect because, um, first of all, it takes a lot to move the needle on life satisfaction. And secondly, uh, the reason why we thought there might be an effect was that social media distorts our perception of reality. And that is something that accumulates over time. So just one week's break from from social media, I didn't think would would have an impact. Mm. But we did a significant effect pretty much on every uh, metric uh, we included in the study. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm, I'm sh- but I'm, I'm sure all of those people, uh, despite the results, are still using social media today as am I. Because I think, you know, life is a battle between, you know, long-term goals, gratification, and 
I'm, I'm more a dog videos kind of cat videos, but but I, <laughs> I see uh, I see your point. Yeah. Um, so the other study, which which is super cool, is uh, I, I, um, it's conducted in the U.S. Um, where this group of researchers. Um, uh, so I can only remember his first name. It's Johannes, and he's a wonderful guy. He's German, and he's one of my favorite happiness researchers. But he's called Johannes, and I, I can't remember for uh, unfortunately his last name. But it's a study where they have looked at objective data and um, the uh, language people use and on Twitter. So in the U.S., you have at a county level data on the number of deaths from heart-related diseases. Wow. And then okay. look at what kind of language do people use on Twitter in those different counties. <gasps> and what did they yes. find? So <laughs> That's so juicy. That's so nerdy. I love it. Such a cool study. Hmm. And of course, at the county level, you can see that what predicts uh, deaths from heart-related heart diseases are diabetes, obesity levels, smoking levels, and all of those things we would expect. But also the language used on Twitter, even when, when they control for the other factors. Okay, so the, the single um, biggest predictor when it came to language uh, was the word hate. So if there is a high frequency of people using the word hate in a given county, there is a higher frequency of deaths from heart-related diseases in that county. So I think that goes to show what you talked about before. At least that's that's evidence to support that theory that you know how we interact on Twitter affects us also in a very sort of um, physical way. Um, so there there's good uh, reason to calm down and uh, perhaps uh, not use such uh, negative language on Twitter. Yeah, isn't that just the most amazing correlation study? Wow. Yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. And I mean, if you think about and talk to teenagers who, you know, they're experiencing a whole new way of growing up that our generation didn't have to experience with right. never leaving their peer group when even when yep. they're home, they're still with everybody from school because of right. online. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it's oh, a, and, 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 and that reminds me of uh, reminds me of what I promised you. I, I promised also what we can do about. Yes, please. Let's go solutions because <laughs> a lot of parents are particularly worried so, <laughs> about the online space. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 I think an interesting case is a a Danish boarding school mm -hmm. that uh, they have students that are 14, 15, 16 year old. And when the students arrive on the first semester, the school takes uh, all the phones, all the iPads, all the all the devices, and then the students can have them uh, one hour per day. So mm -hmm. one hour per day, they could go on Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. But for 23 hours, they're without their phones. And then after six months, it's put to a vote and we continue with this system or should everybody get their phone back? And 80% of the students vote to keep the system in place because they experience, well, if none of us have our phones, then we actually create uh, friendships. We create a community with the people we're with. So I think <clears throat> that's an interesting case. And of course, we can't all send our kids to, to boarding school, but perhaps we could coordinate with other parents on the block that perhaps on 
Saturdays or on Fridays, it's no phone Friday and, 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 and the kids are all without their phones. Because if you're the only one without your phone, then it's boring. But if yeah, you have somebody yeah. to play with, then that's a, a better deal. Yeah, so true. And it, it, it's, uh, it, it, I mean, there's, there must be some solid science behind the unhappiness and the distraction that phones bring to the teen experience. If you see, you know, I've seen three articles this week on various high schools around the world, um, one local to us in Sydney that has literally banned phones at school. Um, oh, right. Because of what what it's doing to um, for bullying and for distraction in class and, uh, and a general sense that the kids are losing their abilities to concentrate, like some pretty yeah. basic social functions. And, um, yeah, so very interesting that that school literally said, no, let's actually just keep yeah. it to one hour a day. So, but great to hear that that, that schools are also taking lead uh, in in Australia. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Mm, yeah, very cool. Uh, so we don't have too much more time together, Mike. But I would love to ask you a final question, which would be: uh, if we all had to cultivate more happiness in our day to day lives, based on all of the examples of the world that come across your desk that you've written about, <laughs> what do you think the three biggest return on our investment would be to start implementing in our day-to-day? Oh, that's a tricky one. Uh, yeah, um, I like to finish big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, three ones. So, okay. So I think, I think we should... I think we should have long-term goals and short-term goals. So I think long-term is uh, going into going into the public discourse, debating on how we can create a good society, how we can create good frameworks for, for good lives. I love that and, you said that. Can I say why? Because, uh, yeah. you know, on the book talk, I've been talking about whinging up, the concept of, like, bringing our concerns to decision makers higher up the chain than us. So no one's telepathic in governments. They don't necessarily know what we all are concerned about. And keeping big picture conversations going is so important to actually seeing improvements instead of consoling ourselves with how things are. Exactly. Mm. And and I think that's, that's the top level. Yeah. And the, the medium level is the, the city level. Um, and I think I think what works well, for instance, in Copenhagen is uh, that because of the urban design, some of the price tag there have been on happiness have been removed. So what I mean by this is, for instance, mobility is free because there's been a lot of investment in infrastructure for cyclists. And that means that you can go everywhere you need to go without owning a car. Uh, and I think that reduces a lot of worry. I think that would do reduce a, a lot of stress uh, for people. So I think thinking of the city as a generator for happiness, I, I think is is the second. Uh, now I'm just being ambitious, right? So so, yeah, so I know it's it. difficult to uh, in, I know it's difficult to impact government. I know it's difficult to impact cities, but I, I do think that's where we will be able to reach a, a large amount of people. And then thirdly, on on the personal level. Um, I'd say, you know, forget about happiness. Okay, <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's think, interesting. I, think, I was I, not <laughs> expecting that. <laughs> but I think sometimes happiness can best be achieved as a byproduct. 
Um, you know, there, there is a lot of talk about, you know, the, the, the pursuit of happiness, but sometimes it's, it's, it's better to achieve happiness through pursuit. So, 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 um, engage with something you enjoy, you know, do something active, do something meaningful, do something together with other people. And then hopefully happiness will come as a byproduct of that. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the tricky part is not to chase it directly, uh, but see it as a, a side benefit of something else you enjoy doing. Yeah, beautiful. And what is the thing that you're looking forward to doing most today? So I'm actually meeting with my uh, stepbrother for lunch, um, and we're having the cla- classic Danish uh, smørbrød. Uh, so, so I'm I'm really looking forward to that. That's exciting. And is that where you're headed right now? Exactly. Yes. Fantastic. Well, you're clearly walking the talk, <laughs> Mike. Uh, Mike, it's it's always lovely to chat to you, and I, I feel Likewise, like. Alex. I feel like uh, there's there's plenty there for us to ponder, especially the words we use when we communicate both online and off. I think that hate example was, it really just sums up the state of play today and how easy it is for us to change it, right? Right. Mm. Yes, the little things. Exactly. So have a beautiful lunch with your stepbrother and we shall speak to you soon. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoy having these conversations and bringing them to you. Now, where can you find me and Lotox Life from here on in? Well, you've obviously got lotoxlife.com and there we have everything beautifully organized into food, home, body and mind topics as well as kids and a whole bunch of free downloadables and resources to help you, inspire you to take community action and there's amazing A to Z recipes there if you're ever getting a little bit stale in the kitchen and a whole bunch of articles that I've written. You can also find me on Instagram at Lotox Life and also on Facebook by a page the same name. I make everything super easy, Lotox Life, so you can find it really, really simply. Thank you so much to everybody who leaves a five-star review over on Stitcher or iTunes or wherever it is that you tune into the show. And also to let you know that you can join us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Lotox Life and come join the private Lotox Life Club. In there, over time, more and more cool stuff is about to be added. It's a place where we can continue the conversations, chat about the weekly show, you're going to get bonus Q&A and all sorts of things over time. I explain everything over on Patreon, so I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.